Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say this with me. The judgment seat of Christ. And then say this with me, the place of reward. All right, now I'm not going to take much time, so I'm going to accelerate where I'm going here this morning. Um, But I want to just preface this. Somebody came, well, actually, uh, you came and gave me that uh, the the panel of the different dispensations since the beginning of time. Dispensation meaning uh, different era. Somebody say era. Different eras of time. So, you know, we go from one dispensation, which translates us into different times or, uh, or covenants. And since the cross, we happen to be in the age of the new covenant or somebody would call the new covenant, the age of grace. And then we go into the times of, according to the book of uh, Revelation, into the times of the tribulation, which ushers us into a new age. And we go into, you know, there's gonna be a, a short time uh, of, uh, well, I don't want to get into the details here, but I will say this, then we, after all that, we end up in the millennial rule of Christ. And then after all of that, the enemy is let loose. And then uh, every, there's what we call the great white throne judgment. All right. So I don't want to get into the, the huge details. I'm bringing this only up to you this morning is because I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. We're not associating the judgment seat of Christ in the book of Corinthians with the great white throne judgment. Secondly, some of you are going, well, you just spoke about Jesus Christ being both Saviour and Lord. And by the way, I just wanna go ahead and welcome uh, Bonnie, um, Noel's mom and dad with us this morning. Let's give them a beautiful, warm welcome. Anybody from Georgia is a friend of mine, I'm joking. Any, you know, what a, what a stellar couple, Byron and, and Noel are. We just love them so much. And so I wanna encourage you to go and love on them, give them a big hug, so much so that they go, we've just got too many hugs. We just can't possibly go back. No, praise God. And then also good to see you again, Rosa. We love you very much. Welcome, let's give her a warm welcome. She's representing the Spanish delegation here. Hallelujah. We love you. You're so welcome. So, so uh, you know, we spoke about Jesus being Saviour and Lord. And, you know, that was kind of on the side of really recognising Jesus, not only as Saviour, but as Lord. And we understood that the word Lord is Master. He, he, he became our, our Lord. He became our Master. Another word there is owner, karios in the Greek. So, so there was the emphasis of Jesus being Lord of our lives where we completely surrender to Him, amen? We, we submit to His Lordship. And if you were a slave back in the day, uh, you know, the point of becoming a slave, you, you, you had no rights for yourself as a slave. You existed only to satisfy the requests of your master. Are you with me? And in the kingdom of God, when Jesus came into our life, He not only became Saviour, but He came, became Lord and we became in a sense, we're not slaves that Jesus is a hard taskmaster. He, we, we, became a, 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 he, we became slaves in the sense that He is our master and we willingly surrender to Him and our 
our life becomes His to do His bidding. Are you with me? So that God can accomplish His purpose for our lives. And one of the major takeaways from that, if we're gonna have a takeaway, is understanding that in, when we surrender to His Lordship, uh, you know, we, we struggle and we might wrestle with it and we might wanna uh, take our own lives and, uh, and do what we want, whenever we want, however we want. And, and so we, we, we lean over just to the definition of Saviour, but we're not really tapping into the Lordship where He begins to take possession and directing our lives and all of those things. And so one of the lies that the enemy has sold us is that we still wanna take possession of our lives. We wanna identify with Him just as Saviour, but we're still not allowing Him as full Lordship. And we feel like, you know, the outcome is gonna be so far greater. And that is the deception of the enemy because if we understand that if we can get beyond the deception of you completely giving your life to Him, the outcome would be so far greater than you in all your capacity and all your humanity and your strength and the arm of the flesh, you will still never find the fulfilment that making Him Lord will bring to your life. And I think just being able to identify with that, running towards it will begin to put you in a position that if you will truly make Him Lord over your life. And, and when I say truly make Him Lord, understand here, we, we preach a gospel that Paul preached, the Apostle Paul, which says, look, we have been saved by, by grace through faith, but we also know that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works there of the, the Lordship, those works, manifest out of the fruit of His Lordship working in you. Those works are not works that we're trying to get on the treadmill of performance in order to deserve, uh, deserve Him. Those works that we're referring to is we are so enamoured by what He has accomplished in our lives. It becomes a response work. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Those good works are response works that comes when you submit completely to Him, fall in love with Him. How many of you realise that even in your marriage, there's a difference? Sometimes we can. Come on now, let's just be honest. Men, husbands, uh, you know, sometimes we can do things mechanically, but it's not always mechanical. Most of the time, it's not mechanical. When you respond to your spouse or your wife and you buy her flowers, how many of you know your wife can say a lot of things and you just know how to say yes at the right time? The only time you get into trouble is when she stops and says, what did I just say? And then you can't answer. Then you're in trouble. <laughs> and all the men in the house said, oh, they, they don't even want to say amen to that. No, they don't even want to acknowledge that. But the point of the matter is, is that your spouse isn't holding you going, you will buy me flowers. But you come and you buy her flowers. Why? Because it's a response. You love her. And that is the good works that we're created for in Christ Jesus. We're not, God, Jesus is not holding us at gunpoint so that we can behave right. No, He is wanting us to fall so in love with Him that the response of our walk with Him is that we are created for those good works. Amen. So making Him Lord is actually just identifying with how much He's done for you, that you become so enamoured and by the revelation of what He's done for you that it produces the fruit that responds to His accomplishment for your life. Come on, somebody say Amen. amen. 
So the judgment seat of Christ that I wanna just touch on here this morning uh, really quickly is something that, that I wanna just bring across to you because I believe that this isn't something at all. In fact, go ahead and rather look at the second phrase there that says the place of reward because the judgment seat of Christ is not a place. It is not a judicial seat at all. It's got nothing to do with being judicial in any way, shape or form. The context of the judgment seat of Christ is the place of reward. Somebody say this with me. The judgment seat is the place of reward. And we're gonna get into details in just a minute because this is the place that is isolated to the believer. This has got nothing to do with misconduct or your sin. It's got to do with the rewards you will receive as a believer. Are you with me? We're not talking about the great white throne room judgment. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And we'll get into the context here. Let's just go ahead. So I'll skip over the great white throne judgment here just because I've already gone through with that just for time's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9. And we can go through that whole portion of Scripture here. But just bear with me. Somebody say, bear with me. And by the way, is this okay? Are you, are you feeling good already? Say, we're going somewhere. All right, praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 21. That's the whole picture. But we're gonna start here. It says, therefore... We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also tr- uh, and, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. I want you to see there in verse uh, 11, that says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. Uh, and I wanna read here because I've, I've looked at it in a couple of different translations, uh, but the Passion Translation and the New Living Translation uh, doesn't take it out of context. There's no contextual change at all. It's actually putting it into more of a vernacular that we can understand. Today it says here in that same verse, it says, since we are those who stand in holy. Look, let's just go back. It says here, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. All right, now listen to the Passion Translation. Since we are those who stand in holy or in holy awe of the Lord. In other words, we walk in the fear of God, okay? So there's no taking away from context. We make it our passion to persuade others to turn to Him, all right? We know that our lives are transparent before God who knows us fully. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. That's what it says here. So knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, the context here is understanding the fear, His majesty. We are persuaded. I love what it says here. It says here, um, let me go back to it, blah, blah, blah. There you are. It is our passion to persuade others to turn to Him. And let's just go back again. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether, to, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. 
but we are well known to God. Now, I wanna quickly show you something here. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He uses the word fear there and the continuity there is Paul is, is, is a guy that doesn't mince his words. He's, he's very consistent in his verbiage. He's very conscious of making sure that Jesus is the centrality of everything that he preaches. Paul is walking in the fear of the Lord in his conduct. Paul is walking in the fear of the Lord wherever he goes so that what is transferred from his life, the only thing that can be transferred is the centrality of Jesus. You, there's not gonna be the praise of man that, 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 that will be left behind when he walks. And it's not about how amazing the Apostle Paul is, that everybody is far more overtaken, not with the beautiful eloquence of the Apostle Paul, but the revelation of how Amazing Jesus is far surpasses the words of the Apostle Paul. And when they walk away from, when the Apostle Paul walks away, that is what they're left with. They're left with an impartation of the centrality of Jesus and His goodness and everything that He has accomplished for us. That is His heart. And Paul makes no apologies in that regard. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it says, And our brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There we go. Here he is pointing to Jesus. I was with you in weakness, in fear. There we go. There's that word fear again. He says, in fear, the fear of the Lord is what he's referencing here and in much trembling. So in other words, he's walking in the fear of the Lord and there is a, there is a conscious reality that there is a trembling at work in his life when, when he is so conscious of, 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 of what Jesus has commissioned him to impart to the church. There is a, a fear in the sense of, there is an awe, there is something there that he is conscious of that he always wants to make sure that he's always pointing to Jesus. And he never wants to let his guard down in this regard. Because to fall short of that is to begin to deviate from the gospel where it becomes a little bit about you and a little bit about what Jesus has done. And that's what we call a mixture. And that's what we call a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Are you with me? Somebody say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he came in much fear and trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit. I didn't try to come and appeal to your head. This the modern day translation. I never came to appeal to your head. I'm not here to convince you with my eloquence or how well I can articulate and prove a point to you. I'm not speaking to you, but I come resting upon the, the, the grace of God and the demonstration of His power that your faith, might not rest in my intellect but or in my wisdom, but in the power of God. Amen. That's what he says here. And I'll read it. He says that your faith, uh, where we, he goes, uh, let's see here. Sorry, 
Uh, yes, he says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When he uses the wisdom of men there, he's speaking in plurality, he's saying, listen, anybody that comes to you, including myself, that has a message that emphasises the wisdom of men more than in what Jesus can do in His power, you're in trouble. And he says, for that reason, I come in fear and trembling because I'm not here acting as a representative of myself. I am an ambassador for Him. Amen. Amen. If you are an ambassador and you are in duty, and you are a United States ambassador and you are in the middle of South Africa and you're working eight to five. In fact, you know, you're at eight to five. You're on duty. Any, any US citizen or anybody that comes into your jurisdiction, you are acting on behalf of the United States of America and the laws and the principles and the policies that govern the United States of America. You are a mouthpiece. You are not there to give your own opinion. You are not there to give an opinion of anything else. You are only there to represent what the law of the United States says. Are you with me? When you walk out of that fire at 5 p.m. and you go to your house, you represent yourself. But when you're there, at, and I'm not making a separation here, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you to clearly understand. Paul was an ambassador and the fear and trembling he walked in was the same picture that I just painted for you right now, that at no point in time was the Apostle Paul ever representing his opinion. His life was not his own. He only wanted Jesus to be the one that was the centre point. So when it came out of his mouth, that people's faith were in the Lord Jesus Christ and not what man was capable of doing by dispelling all of his wisdom and intellect. Come on, somebody. Are we preaching Jesus today or not? Paul in 2 Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 again, verse 13, and we're getting to, we're getting to the Bama seed of Christ. Don't worry, we're getting there. We're gonna return to it. Somebody said we're gonna return. I'm just trying to give you con- context here on how we arrive at our conclusion. Paul again says here in Philippians chapter two, same language again. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence, but how much in my absence. It says here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How much we quote Philippians chapter two, verse 12, but never quote verse 13. And verse 13 is the continuation of verse 12. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for His good pleasure. So it's God, the one working. He's saying, work out your salvation. Same language again, with fear and trembling. In other words, walk in the fear of the Lord. The Apostle Paul wasn't transmitting a message of somebody that had a lack of confidence in his salvation. Are you with me? He was very, very articulate and very consistent because Paul wanted the church to understand that while they are on the earth, 
They ought to be Jesus. Let Jesus be the one that be the centrality of everything that they do. Why? Because when eternity comes and we step on over into eternity, we don't want to be, you know, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain that build it. God is not in interested in how much we can do for Him in the arm of the flesh. The Apostle Paul's gospel was never how much you could do for God by your own strength. The Apostle Paul's gospel was only what God could do through you when you make Him the centre of everything. What we do in our strength mounts up to nothing. So he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you. Make sure it's always God, the one working in you, the works that you work, make sure it's Him initiating them. It lines right up when he spoke to the Corinthians. And in Corinthians chapter five, uh, chapter 5, verse 19 and 11, where he says, and he walks in, he's always talking about the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? Come on now. Somebody say, it's good. All right. Now, let me quickly go back to that scripture here as we kind of wind this down. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, pretty good. I used to live in Knoxville, Tennessee for just a little while. Uh, We did some biscuits and gravy at the Cracker Barrel over yonder. Y'all come back now, you hear? Let me just tell you something right now. Ain't nothing like some Southern hospitality. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so let's go back to the original scripture here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So somebody say, this is not a judicial seat. Okay, it's not a judicial seat. It's the place of reward. It's not a judicial seat. It's got nothing to do judicially. It says here, the judgment seat, all right, came from one word, which we all should know is the bematos, bema, the bema seed of Christ, bematos, B-E-M-A-T-O-S. This word has been misunderstood for years. The word bema is literally a step more than a raised or more than a raised seat. It refers to a raised step or platform that in Roman times, every major city had. Only this one is in heaven. This was an elevated platform, much like the medal stand in, model, uh, in modern Olympic Games, where the victorious athletes received their crowns. Somebody say the Bema. That's where they received their crowns or their rewards. The Bema was used to judge contests or athletic events in order to determine rewards. 
In the large Olympic arenas, there was also an elevated seat on which the judge of the contest sat. After the contests were over, the successful competitors would assemble before the Bema to receive their rewards or crowns. The Bema was not a judicial bench where some were condemned. It was a reward seat. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judicial bench. The Christian life is a race and the divine umpire is watching every contest. Come on, somebody. After the church has run her course, he will gather every member before the Bema for the purpose of examining each one and giving the proper reward to each one. Are you with me? The term judgment seat is taken from the Grecian games where successful athletes were rewarded for victory in athletic contests. The judgment seat metaphorically refers to a place where the Lord will sit to evaluate the believer's lives for the purpose of giving them eternal rewards. Hallelujah. Come on. So we've all got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And God is going to be evaluating us on what He has been allowed to do through us. Not on all we've, not on everything that we decided we're going to do for Him. That's where the Apostle Paul is speaking very clearly about the fear and trembling. Make sure it's God working through you. Make sure the Lord is the one initiating those things. Well, how can you say that? Is, is that even in the Bible elsewhere? Absolutely. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds a house, they labour in vain. God, uh, 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 they labour in vain, they build. Number two, uh, I say this 101 times. Where in the book of Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse two, when God spoke to Abraham to take now, uh, He said, Abraham, take now your son, your only son Isaac to the mountain of which I shall show you. God spoke to him to sacrifice Isaac. And guess what He said to him in those first, two verses, he said, take now your only son. That wasn't true. It was true. It was absolutely true. Yes, to God, because God was making something abundantly clear to us here is that he never acknowledged Ishmael as a son. He said, take now your only son, Isaac. Ishmael was already born. So in other words, God does not recognize the work of the flesh. It's dead to him. He does not acknowledge it. It counts for nothing. So we can be involved in a lot of the doing, the doing, the doing, but unless it's the God, the one initiating for us, we're not, we're not called to religiously serve God. God is not looking for us to be a people who are religiously serving Him. He is looking for us to be a people that are so in love with Him that our response is to do whatever His good pleasure is. Because we can do a lot of things and yet have our hearts. We can do a lot of things, but yet our heart might not be attached to it. You can do a lot of things. 
God's not looking for anything that comes from the life of the believer that is detached from the heart. Are you with me? Come on, somebody say that's good. Sure glad I came today. So somebody say, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Then it says here, each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So this is about what we do here in this life. We're gonna do things that, that uh, uh, God's gonna give. We're gonna give an account for everything we've done, whether good or bad. Amen? Come on. Well, there you go. So let me just go ahead and say this. So the phrase there, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards basically for the works done in the body, whether good or bad. That in the Greek was handed over to Greek, uh, what do you call them? Uh, the ones that like are Greek linguists and uh, Greek scholars. They were given to some of the best top Greek scholars. And they gave him that phrase without removing context from it. They didn't also want to create preconceived ideas. They wanted to give that verbiage, good or bad, uh, neutrally to the Greek scholars so that they could interpret it without any preconceived ideas or attaching anything to it. Now, those Greek scholars all came with a response. How many of you wanna hear what they said about that? How many of you wanna hear it? Okay, when it was handed to them, all right, So when it came to this, listen to what it says. The first one said, every one of us will receive rewards for the works we did in our bodies, whether they are good or of no value. All right? That sounds like a good deal, they said. Come on. The next one said, each of us will be rewarded for our work, whether they are worth anything or not. And then this guy said, I want to work for this company. All right, I'm just saying. They they all had a comment. All will get bonuses for what we have done in our bodies, whether they are worthy or worthless. And we'll get into something right now. Whether they are worthy or worthless, each one will be rewarded for his works done in the flesh, whether good works or worthless works. So the word bad there is the word of no value. So whether they were worthy works or worthless works. It's not talking about bad deeds. Are you with me? It's of no value. Everyone will receive a reward for his works in the body based on what he has done, either for the good deeds or deeds or deeds of no consequence. You see, this has all been given to the Greek scholars and every time they get to the last section there, it is that that word there is of no value, worthless or of no consequence. That had no consequence. In other words, it's a neutral word. Are you with me? Everyone will receive rewards. For, for, and this is for the believer. Somebody say this is for the believer. This is not for the sinner. This is for the believer. Come on. Each one will be rewarded for his deeds in the body, whether good or bad. I don't recognise this. Apparently the good or bad is from the perspective of the recipient. This is a very good deal, isn't it? Anybody? Anybody? Hallelujah. So, so here's the thing. How many of you understand this? 
that when you are led by the, sometimes you know that you are being led by the Holy Spirit and the outcome. You see God's leading you and, and He puts somebody in your heart to pray for. And this is where I'm gonna end off here the, uh, today is He puts somebody in your heart to pray for. And, and I'm looking at David and God tells me something about David and, and I'm obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit as He's leading me. And I go and pray for David. And the Lord told me, listen, David, be, be encouraged. Uh, I know that you've been having some struggles in such and such a place. God says there's, there's a brand new contract that's coming to you. Uh, somebody, uh, some, uh, you have a big supplier coming to you and they're gonna wanna do a deal. Uh, you're gonna supply to them, sorry. That's, you're gonna supply a bunch of, and they're gonna carry on, or it's gonna be a continuous order and uh, it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna kind of cover you everything. It's gonna be a supernatural deal. Does that sound like a good deal? And then I give that word and then he goes to work that day uh, or maybe the next Next day, and you know, maybe like by Wednesday, man, he just said that this contract was coming. There's no contract. What's he talking about? He's crazy. And then by Wednesday, that contract shows up, and he goes, "Thank you, Jesus," and he recognizes it. But God's already kind of blown some, uh, encouraged him, and he signs the contract. And there's the so so there was something that we were led by the Spirit, and 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 we responded to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and there was a, a massive outcome there. So so you know that that is part of the. The, the heavenly rewards of your walk in the with the Lord that you will obey whatever He tells you, His promptings. Or, and I love to use this example, when you, how many of you know the best form of being led by the Spirit is when you don't even know you're being led by the Spirit? That to me rocks my world because it is so detached from you getting any credit. It's a, it's a way that the Holy Spirit works with you where it is of, I mean, it is of no value to you, but you didn't even know what took place just without even knowing it. And when we get to eternity, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna ask God to put in my video reel and I'm gonna, He's gonna show me all these places where we didn't even know that He was using us for His goodness to be made manifest and what it unlocked on the other side, things that I thought had no value at all, but yet changed the course and the direction of somebody's life. whether good or of no value. Well, I'm pulling down to, to, to the corner of Bonin and, and Ambassador Caffrey and Super One's on my left and I'm at a red light and, and I'm on the fast side because I'm heading down towards Costco. Somebody else is on my left. They're about to turn left to the Super One. I've got my windows down. It's beautiful weather, probably about 65 degrees to 70 degrees out. My windows are down. I've got some worship music and somehow it's just there. I don't hardly listen to Christian radio stations all the time and that's not a, I'm not punching radio stations, but just this day it's on there because I have my own music that I listen to directly. And so one of the ads start coming and, and they hear through this car, you know, evangelist so-and-so is preaching at this church on the corner of blah, blah, blah. And here I am just listening to worship music. This ad is playing, it's playing, but, but my window's open and the guy next to me, he's suicidal. He wants to commit suicide. And the voice of the Spirit of God comes into his heart about this ad, about the, this evangelist and he shows up at the church when he was gonna kill himself that day and God gloriously saves him. That is a work of no value that I had no clue I was involved 
It's a place of reward. It's not a place at that particular moment in time where God's gonna condemn you for the idiot that you were several times. Because the outcome of telling you what could have will not change the outcome. Hallelujah. This is for the believer. And when you stand before God, God's gonna be congratulating you for all the times that you did yield to Him, that you did allow Him to work through you. And He's gonna say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's gonna love on you. He's gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate your reward. We're gonna publicly celebrate what God what you did in response to the Lord working in you. Hallelujah. I'm not saying that God is void of judgment, no. Just realise the time and space that we're living in right now in any case. And we're on the verge of crossing over into a new time and place. And then there's a different animal that goes on after that. Are you with me? I'm not taking away from that stuff. I'm talking about right now where we are. (laughs) And I believe a consciousness of the fear of the Lord without... A, a, a consciousness of the fear of the Lord that is not a religious sense of the fear of the Lord, but what is where we are in the world right now, that the consciousness of the fear of the Lord becomes weightier and weightier and weightier and weightier and heavier and heavier that we respond to that and yield to that. Amen. Hallelujah. Say this with me. My life is not my own. Say this. I was bought with the price. Say, I belong to Jesus. Say this with me. Lord, I want to do Your will. So therefore, not my will, but Your will be done. Say this with me. I'll do what You want me to do. I'll be what You want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ said, Oh, that was terrible. I mean, is this a victor? Are we a victorious church in this house today? And the church of the Lord said, One more time. And the church of the Lord said, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 